This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Tuesday. We are back with more questions. Daphne, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. You know what I'm doing, How I, what I'm feeling best about? <laughs> we just finished the nutrition content, and now we're going through the nutrition questions. But we really did go all over most of this stuff, so I'm feeling good about that. Good. I'm happy that we did then Um, because sometimes I have to say it is a source of frustration because I remember sometimes you would read chapters and chapters of of a certain topic. Then you would do like, I don't know, we're not really allowed to use neoprep questions on the, on the show, but like I would go do a neoprep question and be like, how the F did I read all (laughs) these things? And now, well, why should I have known that? (laughs) No, not that I should have known that, but I'm saying I spent, a week and a half reading the entire book chapter. And then I get to the question on this topic and like, it's not something I'm familiar with. And it's like, why, why is it so difficult? Why was it not in the book? And so <laughs> it's kind of nice when you, you do some questions and be like, yep, I, I read that. That's easy. That's kind of nice. Yeah. By, by the way, for most people listening, um, while we cannot really, I, not that I would recollect anything that I was asked on the test, but most of the stuff on the test is, is not like esoteric. Like it's, like most of the time you'll see questions and be like, yep, I read about that. Like that's, these are, they, they rarely dig like some very esoteric concept. So I hope that makes you feel a bit better about studying. It does help me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and even the stuff that was kind of odd, I remember certain things like you're like, that was in Bratian Martin. Like I remember like yeah. some, some weird, I remember there was like a weird heme question and I was like, that's a very bizarre thing to ask, but I remember that this was in the book, so that's kind of nice. All right. Um, we're doing question 23. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Of the following, energy expenditure in a neonate is highest for which of the following? Choice A, for activity. Choice B, during cold stress. Choice C, during fecal losses. Choice D, nutritional storage and synthesis and then choice e resting metabolic rate okay so i thought this would be an easy question but i actually i'm struggling a little bit i i know that the you know the resting metabolic rate that's like the majority of the caloric need for the day but i'm a little torn on this cold stress option because I can imagine if a baby got stressed <laughs> that they would need to expend a lot of energy <laughs> to to get back to normothermia. I guess they can't do it. They can't ever get back to normothermia usually uh, without our help. So I guess I'll go with E. The, the biggest energy expenditure is the, the resting metabolic rate. That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So E, resting metabolic rate is uh, the highest uh, energy expenditure for a neonate. Resting metabolic rate requires the greatest amount of energy expenditure in a neonate, expending 40 to 60 kcal per kilo mm-hmm. per day. So when you think about this, right, and you're trying sometimes to get your kids to about like 90 kcal per kilo per day, 100 kcal per kilo per day, right? 
Mm-hmm. Think about that for a second. 60% is going to be used for just resting metabolic rate. A uh, table is provided in the answer choice, summarizing the caloric expenditure in neonates. And then you have, obviously, the resting metabolic rate, 40 to 60. But then you look at the others, and it's not very impressive. Activity in general, 0 to 5 kcal per kilo per day. Right. Not, not that our kids are, like, triathletes, right? So, um, yeah, so I think that's... Uh, yeah. I think that's not really surprising. Cold stress, though, you you had that question. Still, it's the same. It's zero to five kcal per kilo per day. So, um, yeah. yeah. And then I was thinking of some like extreme of cold stress, you know, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> okay. And then it talked about nutritional storage and synthesis. So, interestingly enough, that's a big component of um, the caloric expenditure. Excretion is fifteen kcal per kilo per day. Storage is about 30 kcal per kilo per day. Hmm. Synthesis is 15 kcal per kilo per day. So after resting metabolic rate, it's definitely the second highest. Now, uh, I guess, and then the total, as we said, will get you to about like 90 to 120 kcal per kilo per day. Now, if you want to be a stickler, you can say, well, in the answer choice, there was a choice for nutritional storage and synthesis. Which mm, you could right. add them up, but but there's a separation there. In the choice, you had C fecal losses, so excretion mm-hmm. basically, which takes away 15 kcal, and then nutritional storage and synthesis that would bring you up to about 45 kcal per kilo per day. So you could say that Dr. Broski and Dr. Martin were kind of mean on this question because. If you had picked nutritional storage and synthesis, you could have made a case for it being almost equal to resting metabolic rate. But uh, obviously, as we're looking at uh, nutritional processing individually, it's not even close. And when we're looking at them combined, they reach to about 45. So even at the best case scenarios, if resting metabolic rate reaches 60 kcal per kilo per day, it still is overwhelmingly higher than nutritional processing altogether. All right. That was a good one, I think. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, This is question 24. Which of the following statements about trace metals and iron is incorrect? Okay. Is it A, we're looking for the false answer, is chromium plays a role in carbohydrate and lipid metabolism, though clinical deficiency remains to be described. B, copper is critical for red blood cell production. C, iron should not be included routinely in parental nutrition preparations because of its potential to suppress immune function and generate free oxygen radicals. D, selenium is important for proper axonal development in the central nervous system. Or E, zinc is a vital trace element important for bone development. You're looking for the false. Um, Okay, so chromium, I think, uh, chromium plays a role in carbohydrate and lipid metabolism through clinical deficiency remain to be described. I think that is correct. Copper is critical for red blood cell production. We talked about that. I think that is correct. Iron should not be included routinely in parenteral nutrition preparation because it's potential to suppress immune function and generate free oxygen radicals. To be fair, I don't know. I mean, I know that we... (laughs) But you know that we don't. (laughs) <laughs> but we but so that's the thing we do add iron to parenteral nutrition especially as we're rolling out all these epo protocols many centers add iron to their tpm mm-hmm. we actually cannot so yeah. i kind of i kind of asked our 
our caps. I was like, why can't we have iron? And they're like, yeah, no, we don't add routinely. So they told me exactly that, basically. Uh, uh, that we can add it, but they don't add it. So anyway, so the fact that iron should not be included um, routinely, I think, is correct. Um, but we still do it. So it's kind of like, hmm. But I do know that. But I do know that selenium is uh, is is an antioxidant, uh, and I don't think it has to do uh, with central nervous system. Um, and zinc is good for bone development. We use zinc supplementation all the time. I'm going to go with C, even though, oh, sorry, with D, even though C is kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the false answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it in the correct way. <laughs> so. The false answer is D, that selenium is important for proper exonal development. The correct response about selenium is that it's an essential component of glutathione peroxidase. It does protect the body from oxidant damage. Like you said, it's, a, it's an antioxidant. And along with zinc, copper, chromium, manganese, molybdenum, and iodine, selenium is an essential trace element that needs to be, ex- it needs to be included in the parental nutrition preparations. However, selenium is not involved in exonal development. It is correct that chromium plays a role in carbohydrate and lipid metabolism, though clinical deficiency remains to be described. It is correct that copper is critical for red blood cell production, hemoglobin formation, and iron absorption. And in fact, iron is not routinely included in parental nutrition because of concerns about iron overload, suppression of immune function, and the propagation of free oxygen radicals. In most of those protocols, Checking the iron is part of the protocol for this reason. Um, iron may be safely given enterally once feedings are established. Zinc is a vital trace element important for bone development and is important for the function of transcriptional factors and steroid receptors. Do you know how I remember that selenium is an antioxidant? I mean, it's, it's just... I, I remember it has something to do with the singer, Sel- Selena. <laughs> yeah, so, but... Yeah, so but there's uh, another there's another pro I mean people may find me dumb but that's okay. In 2000 something there was a movie called Evolution with like mm-hmm. um with I think the guy from uh, the X-Files David Duchovny and mm. some other people and they're like fighting off some alien life form that's coming to earth. It's a very stupid movie. But basically at some point they realize that selenium which is an anti oxidant for humans is toxic to the aliens and they find mm, that it's like present in head key. and shoulders so they go and <laughs> grab all the head and shoulders bottle that they can find to try to get the selenium to kill the aliens <laughs> and so i remember vaguely that selenium is uh is uh yeah it's toxic to the aliens which probably <laughs> what if we all could right. get all of our what if we could get all of our antioxidant needs from head and shoulders that would be that That'd would be, be something yeah that would be great <laughs> Um, um okay i think that was a good uh that's a good mnemonic i think people can remember that yeah go watch the movie it's a it's a it's a it's a light watch to, it's a good post golf movie to watch it's very stupid i was not I, it's not a thinker oh no 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 no, no don't uh, not the Oppenheimer type of movie no. that's right that's right uh, okay okay i have a question wait i asked you a question all right you want me to go i'll go question 25 <laughs> Which of the following is a true statement? Oh, which of the following is a true statement about preterm infant formula? Choice A: All preterm formula are hyperosmolar as a result of increased nutrient content. 
Choice B, preterm formula contains about 50% more protein than term formula. Choice C, preterm formula contains higher lactose amounts compared with term formula. Choice D, preterm formula is higher in iron content than term formula. And choice E, the sodium content of preterm formula is the same as the one in term formula and human milk. Tell me if you want me to go over these entry choices again. No. I know you have them I in front of them you. I have them here, yeah. I, so the first statement, all preterm formulas are hyperosmolar. I sure hope not. <laughs> right? That would be worse for our babies if they were hyperosmolar. Um, uh, do they contain higher lactose? No, they don't because we know that the lactase does not totally develop until 36 weeks. So that wouldn't make much sense. Um. I think preterm formula actually is lower in iron content than term formula. And that's, I remember that because that's why we had to keep giving iron for so long to these little um, tiny humans. And then the sodium content of preterm formula is the same. Uh, I I think it's high. I think it's higher. But I know that preterm formula contains more protein than term formula. So I guess I'll go with C. Um, you're going to go with C. That is actually not correct. The it's not? Correct, it's <laughs> not. The uh, correct answer is B, that preterm formula contains about 50%. Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. I oh, said okay. It, the, the protein one, but it is B. You're right. It's fine. B. Okay, fine. Sorry. <laughs> uh, contains about 50% more protein than term formula. So compared to term infant formula, preterm formula has a higher protein concentration, which is not really surprising. We spoke about the fact that there's a, a higher need for protein uh, for brain growth and so on in preterm infants. It has a lower lactose concentration. It has a higher sodium content. Preterm formula, formula generally has lower iron content, though most formula are offered with and without iron fortification. I think you could think about this from the standpoint that the iron requirement just by weight alone is probably lower mm. in preterm infants. Maybe that's why they need less. Despite being enriched nutritionally, preterm formulas are isoosmolar unless concentration concentrated beyond 24 kcals per ounce. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.